Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Emerald Sports Desk Report. I'm Aaron, and we got Brennan here with us, Mojo, and Lillian. We'll have Jonathan, our photographer, joining us later for his inaugural episode. We got some baseball talk, some softball, and then we're going to hit a little Nike Hoop Summit because Lily, Jonathan, and I were there uh, last weekend, um, and we, we got some stuff to talk to us uh, talk about with that. But let's get right into with the baseball, Mojo. It's Friday here when we're recording. First sunny day of spring term. We're back for spring term. Uh, Me and Mojo's last term on campus. And yours too, right, Brennan? Might as well, yeah. Yeah, it's It's emotional. A lot of mixed emotions for sure. But yeah, I'm going to be going to the baseball game today because the weather's really good. This is the first time I've worn shorts around campus in, you know, maybe five months. (laughs) Uh, I was I was saying to my roommates last night, you know, like it's only acceptable to wear shorts in Oregon if you're in the confines of your own house or you're at the wreck or walking back from the wreck. So <laughs> that's basically it. Anyways, let's get right into the baseball. So Mojo has been at every single game, and that's not an exaggeration, every single home game. Um, if he could get to the way games, he would too. I know that. Um, but Mojo, why don't you kind of give us a... Where's the team at since we've last talked? It's probably been a month since we've been on this podcast with spring break and everything. Just where's the team at this season? I know they had a huge winning uh, streak just this past few weeks. Yeah, it's been kind of a, a roller coaster for this team. They, it's been winning streaks and losing streaks. Um, they won 11 in a row, which set a, a modern era record since the program came back in 2009. It was only one short of the old time school record, uh, which was set back in like 1964. We've seen Jay Stoffel kind of break out as as an ace, and we've seen Oregon's other two starting pitchers kind of struggle. You know, Leo Ullman and, and Logan Mercado have been statistically two of the worst pitchers in the Pac-12, whereas Jay Stoffel has been suddenly one of the, the best pitchers in the Pac-12, and he had you know one of the best outings that I've ever I've ever seen from an Oregon pitcher. Um, they they came up short in a, a critical series against Oregon State, where the the offense kind of cooled down against. You know a better Oregon State pitching staff, and then they got you know an uncompetitive start from from Leo Ullman on Sunday, and they're going into a just as important series against Stanford, one of the the best teams in the country. Who you know it's it's going to be important that they that they show up against this one. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was interesting in in your piece that's going to be in print this week is that you talked about how like. Oregon in the past, especially under Horton, was a you know pitching school. Mm-hmm. Um, they've you know they produced a lot of MLB players from from their pitching staff, and I I don't know if it's something that like you have like why why do you think this is kind of switched where it's now like they're a, you know very good hitting team, but the pitching has kind of taken a, a step back. Yeah, it's interesting how how much that switched. I I think in general they Oregon's become a bigger hotbed for recruiting just in in general with players. I mean I think. You know, talented offensive players are now taking their talents to Oregon, whereas Oregon State was kind of the hotbed in the past. And I think Oregon is is on the right path to to overtaking Oregon State there. As for for why the you know the pitching hasn't been as as good, it's hard to say. You know, when you have a bunch of young pitchers, they're they're going to have inconsistencies, and you know they still have Jay Stoffel, who you know sometimes these guys slip through the cracks and and end up being really good. But yeah, it's just a lot of inconsistencies from from a young staff uh, this year and last year. So one of Mojo's columns was talking about, you know, kind of changing up that rotation a little bit. So why don't you get into that? It was moving Matthew Grabman, who's been like a, a like a long inning reliever mm-hmm. um, in the bullpen up into the into the starting rotation. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, so Matthew Grabman, going into the season, was Oregon's most hyped freshman pitcher. Um, him and Turner Swiljeric, both Canadians, both you know really highly ranked by, by Perfect Game and whatnot. And Matthew Grabman actually started the year in the rotation, um, and he kind of struggled. He, you know, he, what what I always say about this guy is he has a lot of movement on his fastball. I mean, definitely different than than anyone on this team. Um, but he doesn't always know where it's going. He's young, and it it kind of just goes wherever wherever he wherever it goes. So um, he was struggling to put away hitters, and so he was kind of moved into a bullpen role. And he's done pretty well in the bullpen role. The last couple outings, I'll admit, have been a little shakier. Honestly, I think they're they're misusing him because they're bringing him in with runners on base, which for a guy that that walks a batter an inning, that's not the guy you want to bring in when with runners already on base. I, I'd much rather see him in the rotation, you know, with with more innings to kind of settle into the college level. And I think he has a lot of upside. I th- you know, I think there's a reason that the scouts rating him so highly. I think he has the potential to be a, a really good uh, pitching prospect down the line. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like Leo Ullman, who's you know been struggling in their their Sunday role, just doesn't have as much upside. You know, Leo Ullman, when he's struggling, he gets hit a lot and he struggles with those strikes. Whereas Grabin can pretty much limit the the hits, um, even when he he's struggling to find the strike zone, just because of, of how good his his fastball is and his stuff in general. Mm-hmm. Speaking of potential, in Oregon, sixteen to six win over San Francisco, we had some guys who you know are on the bench but have shown some potential come out and get some hits and see some playing time. So what did you see from that game um, this past Wednesday? Um, some of the guys who don't see as much playing time, Bryce Betcher, a few those other guys, like how did they do? So that game against against San Francisco was one of the, the ugliest baseball games I've ever seen. San Francisco, I believe they, they issued nine walks, seven hit batters, uh, five errors, two wild pitches, two pass balls. It was, it was horrible. And three of those seven hit batters were none other than Oregon football legend Bryce Betcher. Um, you know, I was a little surprised that he was getting the start because, um, you know, he, he doesn't start very often, and he's usually their, their defensive guy. You know, they bring him in in the 7th, 8th, ninth inning to, for some defense because he is really good defensively, and he's, even in his short time this year, he's had some highlight reel plays in the outfield. But they, they gave him the start, and I honestly wasn't expecting much with the bat. But he doubled, uh, he walked, and, you know, First time he was hit, and he was hit a second time, and by the third time he was hit, it was it was humorous, it was funny, and I think he even had a, a sense of humor about it. And then you know he'd already reached base the first five times, and then he comes up with the game is already a blowout, and he hits a ball that off the bat I I wasn't sure if it was going to go foul or or stay in the park, but it just kind of kept carrying. And I remember Jared and I kind of looked at the press box at each other like that might go out, and then it, it went out, and and everyone went crazy, and. That, that arguably wasn't even the craziest thing to happen in that game because Anson Arrows is a guy who was pretty highly ranked going into last year. He's a catcher, freshman, and he had one at-bat last year. He struck out, and then he got hurt. And so he ended up kind of using that as his, as his redshirt year. And then he was playing a little summer ball. I remember he had this amazing play in, in a summer league where he like threw out a batter from his knees. He was one of the most athletic plays I've seen from a catcher, but he hurt himself on that play, and so he's just had brutal luck with injuries, and he's been Oregon's third catcher this year. He's come in here and there, not very often, and he hadn't gotten a hit when he did come in, but he came into this one kind of in the middle innings uh, for defense, so he was he was catching kind of most of that game behind the plate, 
And then, yeah, he had a, an RBI situation, and you know, he's a switch hitting catcher, which is pretty unique. You don't you don't see that very often. And he had an at bat from each side of the plate, and yeah, it, it was so cool to see him get his first hit and the, the team go crazy for him. And then an inning later, Drew Smith, who's a, a true freshman, third base prospect, and he's blocked right now by Sabine Ceballos, who's one of the best players in the country at, at third base for Oregon. But yeah, Drew Smith, he he was he was aggressive. He looked ready to swing. He, you know, first pitch swinging. He, you know, very aggressive. Hit a line drive, and just like arrows, it, it was an RBI hit. And that was only his second college plate appearance. The first one, he was hit by a pitch. I think with the bases loaded to drive in a run, mm-hmm. and then then that time he hits the RBI single. And yeah, it was super cool to to talk to those guys after the game because you know some unfamiliar faces in in the the media post game. Um, yeah, especially I think Arrows gave gave a really nice uh, nice post game with with some good answers. So two things before we move on right now, I wanted to break down. First question I have for you: mm-hmm. all I really know about Betcher off the baseball field is from Jared's article. If we're comparing multi sport athletes, are you taking Robbie Ashford or Bryce Betcher? Oh yeah, I was just thinking about Ashford when it, when uh, Betcher hit the. I'd, I think I might have to go with Betcher. Okay, why is that? <laughs> or at least for baseball, I would go with mm-hmm. with Betcher. I, I think, I mean, Robbie Ashford was kind of a similar player. He was he was a good defensive outfielder, but I think I don't remember Robbie Ashford ever having a day with the bat like Betcher had. Mm-hmm. Really quickly before we move on, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about Ceballos and write about him in your articles, and you said he's one of the best players in college baseball right now. What makes him so good? Uh, I think just as how well-rounded he is. I mean, he's super smooth in the field. Uh, he hits for average. He hits for power. He he's really good at, at driving the ball to the gaps. You know, he he definitely has home run power, but he also just hits a lot of really well-struck doubles to both opposite field gap and and uh, and the left field at left center field gap. And also his positional versatility. I mean, this guy was drafted as a catcher by the Angels and, and didn't sign. And he's been great as Oregon's third baseman. I'm sure he could play shortstop if he needed to. Um, yeah, Waz has kind of said he can play anywhere. Yeah, I think this guy has a super, super powerful bat. And I, I think he's going to be good for an MLB team one day. Just a few a few things with softball. They're about to enter uh, Pac-12 play. Or, or, sorry, second half of Pac-12 play. Sitting at... Uh, 25 or 25 and 11 right now just why is the second half of Pac-12 play so crucial for Oregon softball yeah well in the first half they started out with three series against Washington UCLA and Stanford and those are all top 25 nationally ranked teams and um, they lost all three of those series and those all three of those series Oregon had won a game and it kind of went down to that third game uh where it could have gone either way and I think um Oregon really really lost those series um they left a lot of runners kind of stranded um on base and just couldn't score their runners that were on uh, that were in scoring position so now entering the second half of Pac-12 play they really need to win these series to gain some some momentum going into the Pac-12 tournament and their last few games, like you mentioned before the show, have been against some le- lesser opponents, to say the least. They've put up a total of 33 runs in those games and only given up one. So just, I guess, from what you can you take from these games, even if there's not a lot? The big thing is just players getting an opportunity that don't normally start. 
and gaining that confidence so if their name's called later on in these series, um, they're ready to make a big hit um, or a big pinch run um, to contribute in these games. And I think the other thing is and they have a couple more of those games coming up. Um, they have like a doubleheader against Portland State. I think just making sure they they continue to – to just kind of fix some of these things that they've had trouble with in these Pac-12 games, but obviously make sure they win and and win big um, so they don't lose momentum in the rankings. Mm -hmm. Um, And it looks like there's two more series, uh, three more series, home series, two of them being Pac-12 with Arizona and Utah. Just what can we expect from those two series in particular? I, I would say, for me, the big thing is... We have a lot of seniors. Those will be their last series at home. Um, big players like Ali Bunker and, and Tara McGowan. And just kind of getting to see them play and represent Oregon for the last time, I think, will be big um, for the home crowd. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and it looks like they have some uh, promos on these home games. They got Arizona on April 21st is Food Truck Friday. <laughs> they got a pink game. They got uh, Bark in the Park on May 6th. I might have to get out to some of these games. Yeah, they keep advertising those, especially the Bark in the Park one. I think it's Bring Your Dog or something to Uh the game. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So we're going to move on to uh, Nike Hoop Summit talk real quick. Jonathan's joining us now, and um, we're going to get right into it. Okay, so with, with the Nike Hoop Summit, we went, well, you got there Thursday, right, Lily? Did you, yeah. go, did you go to practice on I Thursday? I didn't get the chance to go to practice on Thursday. Okay, so Lily, Jonathan, and I were, were there, I think Jonathan was there Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday, I believe. So he yeah. was at practice Tuesday. Was that at the Blazers facility or Nike? Uh, Blazers. Blazers facility. Mm-hmm. So really quick, before we get into, because Lily and I were there Friday at Lake Oswego, how was the Blazers facility? Like, what was being there shooting practice at Blazers facility like? It was definitely, it was a really cool experience, especially, like, the entrance. You would walk by their trophy, like, room area, so that was really cool. And the court itself was really nice. It was set up really good to let, like, the media interact with the players. I think after practice, we were all there for, like, 30 minutes just chatting. Like, some people were asking about, like, college questions. Some were just asking about more personal questions, like favorite rapper to Jared McCain and stuff like that. So it was a really cool experience, definitely. Yeah, and then Lily and I went there on Friday, drove up, and practiced at Lake Oswego High School, which is, you know, a suburb of Portland. And I had never been there before. Wasn't as awesome as the Trailblazers facility, I can imagine, or Nike itself. Um, but it was cool. They played against, the USA team played against uh, the Portland Generals. And uh, Lily was at the women's one earlier in the day. So you got to interview Juju Watkins there. Just what was that practice like and what was that interview? Yeah, it was really interesting going to both the women's and the men's practices because there was a big difference. Because the the men's practice was like swarmed with media and and NBA college scouts. And the women's, was mainly there's only a handful of people there and most of them were family members so I think there's maybe one or two other uh, journalists at the women's practices besides me so it was really accessible to go up and just interview anyone and get a one-on-one and I would say from that practice um, Juju Watkins didn't play in the game she had a minor um, 
ankle sprain that was precautionary but she really stood out to practice and me to me to me and practice because um she's kind of I mean she's the number one ranked recruit for a reason she can she can do just about anything she's um a big guard and she can stretch out and shoot the three get to the bucket draw fouls and then defensively she can also be a weapon um but to me what stood out was her drive she was the last person on the court um at practice until I kind of went and bothered her a little bit and asked her um some questions and then the world select team came on and had their practice right after so but she was the last one um, on the court shooting hoops what did you guys talk about in that interview I just asked her um what it's like to represent team USA I mean a lot of these players for the women's team have worn the USA jersey before at the um for under 16 kind of uh championships and under 17 and uh she won gold with USA summer 2022 in the world the world championships and so she just kind of talked about how great um and how much of an honor it is every time she gets to put on the USA jersey especially at a young age and then I also asked her because there's three other players on this team that will be playing against her in the Pac-12 this season what that's like and just she talked about how valuable it is to get to really grow up with these players and to play with them and get to know them. So yeah, there were a total of four Pac-12 players, if you include Juju. So what did you see from some of those players in the game? Yeah, I mean, Jada Williams, she is going to go to Arizona next year. And from her, she she struggled a little bit in the game from the field, but she, she didn't lose confidence. She kept shooting and at the end of the game, she she hit a big three, but she stood out to me in practice, even though she struggled in the game, because I think the entire practice, I only saw her miss about three shots or something crazy. She's definitely capable of being a dead-eye um, three-point shooter, and everything I've read about her and what, I, what I've seen from her is uh, a real vocal leader. She'll be uh, Arizona's point guard next year. And then Nunu... Agara is the recruit for Stanford and she just to me seems like a very high IQ player um, that's capable of being a, a quality three-point shooter as well um, and I think she had 10 points and five rebounds in the game so she did show up in the game mm-hmm. and then the fourth player is Brea Cunningham who is also going to Arizona and her and Jada Williams actually they have a good relationship. They've they've played together in high school, and that will carry on to college. And she opened the game with consecutive layups. She can, I think, those two will be a weapon in the pick and roll next season for Arizona. Mm-hmm. Apart from those guys, I thought Michaela Williams really stood out. She's going to LSU um, next year, and she just seemed like the best. I would say offensive force for for them last weekend. Like she was creating her own shot really easily, and I just thought she looked like the most polished player out there. What did you think about her? Yeah, she kind of surprised me because she didn't score very much in the first half. She ended up uh, the leading scorer with twenty two points, and she was six of seven from three point range. Um, and the game was it ended up being this massive <laughs> blowout but through three quarters it was neck and neck mm-hmm. and then 
And actually, my my dad was at the game watching, and he told me that he left to go to the bathroom at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and it was a single-digit game. And then less than five minutes later, he came back, and it was like USA was up by 20 points. And that's just how fast Michaela Williams um, can get hot from three-point range because she really just kind of led USA to victory um, in that fourth quarter with her red hot shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and from the there were some good players on that world team like you were saying. There's uh Toby Fournier from Canada. Who's the girl that's going to Baylor next year? Number 1. I forgot how to say her name, but she was representing Brazil and And then they had uh Shanice Swain who's pretty good for from Australia. I felt like those were the three players that like really stood out to me and kind of kept them in the game for the first, I think it's Leticia I'm going to mess yeah. this up. Uh, Vasconcelos. <laughs> yeah. But she hit like a step back three in like the second half. And I was like, I mean, in the second quarter. And I was that I was like, nobody else on the court, I think, could have hit that shot. So that was pretty cool to see her. Because she's like a year older than most most other girls on the team. So to see those girls stand out was pretty cool. Yeah. And Shanice Swain, she was, because she's a little bit older than these players too. And she was um, actually drafted um, mm-hmm. this past Monday by the LA Sparks. So... That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you were saying she was talking about that, huh? All right, well, let's move on to the men's side. I think the main story for us being Oregon people was Jackson <laughs> Shellstad. He's the lowest of the three recruits in the 2023 class, but he he looks better than a recruit that than any recruit Oregon's had since basically Peyton Pritchard. You know, the, the my favorite trait about Jackson from watching him for the brief, you know, practice and in games was just his ability to get into the paint and create for himself and create for others just every time he drove he was getting two feet in the paint and it was like it 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 was like a mixture of his speed and handles to get to get to that spot but when he would get there it would be you know dish to the center or a pull-up jumper and apart from that ability to drive it was the defense that really stood out to us too and it wasn't like he was like this overwhelming force on the defensive side. It was more just like he's always in the right spot and he's pesky. What do you think about his defense, Lily? Yeah, his defense surprised me because I hadn't read anything about that being a, a big part of his game. And on the defensive end, um, he he always commits kind of this full court pressure, and that will lead to a lot of steals in transition to mm-hmm. to get. And he was doing that in the practice, too. Yeah. So, Jonathan, you were sitting right by where they were going in the second and fourth quarter. Just what did you think about, you know, Jackson Shellstad's performance and any of the shots that you got of him, maybe? Yeah, definitely. One thing that stands out is that, like, work ethic that you can tell he puts in. Like, even though he's clearly not the biggest and a lot of people say that could be a problem in the future, I think it's clear that he's going to stay around and be a big name because of how hard he works. I think you've talked to him at, like, some of the press conferences, but, like, in practice, he was the hardest working, and in the game, he was the hardest working. So I saw when I was sitting right there, he was always, like, I have a picture of him doing, like, a full-court press, like, right by the world bench. Like, every picture I have of him, he's just pressing up on the player, either contact with with the ball or off the ball. If he's dribbling, he's pushing off the guy. Like, he's not as scared to get, like, some contact, even though he's not the biggest guy. One big shot that stood out to me that I got was of him and Bronny um, cheering. I think it was Shellstack got, like, a buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. And they shared a moment there that was really cool because 
all throughout the week. I've been seeing them like have strong chemistry and they've been talking to each other a lot. So this was really cool to see like an in-game, like you can't pretend that um, chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure what Bronny's status is right now. Don't really want to get into it. It's confusing, <laughs> but it was cool to see those two guys playing together. Um, and we'll see what happens when Bronny uh, announces his decision for recruitment. Uh, one, one other thing that stood out to me um, on Friday, Lily, was that Nate Biddle was on the Portland Generals team. He didn't play very well, but um, it was kind of cool to hear him talk after the game. And the thing that was consistent between, because we went right from the press conference with Shellsat to the one with Nate, and it was just two of us, basically. The thing that was consistent between those two press conferences was they acknowledged the same problems that Dana was calling out at the end of the, the season, head coach Dana Altman, saying, you know, the team wasn't really in the gym and they couldn't really shoot threes which is totally fair. Um, and, you know, the ja- the thing Jackson was saying is, because it wasn't like anybody asked him a question about that. It was just like, I'm going to come in and work hard because I know that's what Dana likes. It wasn't like, did you see what the team, like how the, t- it was It was not a leading question. He said that straight up, and he, I think he means it. And I think I wrote a column about it after. I was like, but should it be on him to do it? It doesn't matter if it should. It's going to be on him. You know, he's yeah. the Oregon kid. He's the recruit. And, and I think he's going to lead this team back into the gym. And Biddle sounded like he was all for it. You know, at, he, when I was in Vegas watching them lose to UCLA, after after that game, the press conference, he was sitting right next to Altman when Altman called them out. And after the game, we interviewed him in the press conference, I mean, in the locker room after the press conference. And he was saying, you know, I'm not shying away from that challenge. And some kids might, you know, we've seen four four players transfer, and Biddle's not one of them. He's staying there, and he's going to work alongside Jackson Shellstad. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, those two Oregon kids playing together in the green and yellow next year, and seeing how, you know, they kind of try to rebuild this team—not rebuild, but retool. So yeah, it was cool to see him. I think that we had a lot of varying experiences from the whole weekend. I'm going to start with you, Lily. Just one moment from the whole weekend. Like, what do you remember that was interesting? For me, it's just. I mean, this place, I mean, at the Moda Center on Saturday for the game and then also at the practices, I mean, it was just filled with all these NBA players. Mm-hmm. And so that's not an experience. I've, I've always been kind of covering these sports in my little um, Eugene, uh, Oregon bubble. So to just be so close to all of these high-level kind of players and, and big names that – that's not something I've experienced before. That was the third time I saw LeBron James not playing basketball. Like, I saw him, but not playing basketball. Uh, the other two were at UCLA. Me and my friends would go there, like, to watch these players work out because they were playing in a gym with, like, with one of the trainers down in L.A. And just the amount of, like, protection that he has around him is crazy. I mean, it makes yeah. sense, but, like, when we, we walked, we watched him walk from, like, one gym to another gym, it, like a five-minute walk uh, in L.A., and he has his shirt off, just came from a workout, he's sweaty as hell, and you can barely, like, uh, catch glimpses of him in between, like, his five bodyguards. <laughs> but it's just, like, his aura, you can just, like, feel it when you're, like, around him, and it's pretty cool. Like, he, he carries himself really well, and to see him, like, interact with his his family was an awesome thing to watch in person so yeah every time i see lebron it's i i mean i i love lebron anyways let's yeah let's move on to you jonathan one moment from the weekend all right obviously i agree with lily about just being around those great players from draymond to 
Chris Bosh to LeBron was wild, but one thing, there were a lot of storylines surrounding the Nike Hoop Summit, but one that maybe should should have gotten a little more attention was that Jackson was playing in front of his home state. Because of Bronny, most of the attention went to him. But a moment that I really loved was because Jackson wasn't a starter when he got called up to enter the game. The arena got really loud. And that's like, I know that moment felt good to him. And like, it made him feel like this week has been worth putting all that work in, even if he wasn't the center of attention. I'm sure he doesn't want to be the center of attention, but it was really cool to hear it and see it all happen. Yeah. And I think for me, like, the moment that stood out to me was the post game press conference after the game on Saturday and just seeing Bronny just in, in the flesh, like how much attention he garners. I think that was like the third time he ever talked to media. Um, Cause I read a whole LA times profile on him and it has one quote and it wasn't even directly from the reporter. It was he, what he said on ESPN press conference or ESPN post game. And so I think like, this is what Jonathan and I talked about on the drive back was just like, I mean, like, we don't know if he enjoys the the limelight or not. That's not for us to decide. But, like, the fact that there's so much there for a kid this age, and, like, he was he said to Lily, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to you. Like, that's just <laughs> insane to me. Like, I I think the best word to describe it, and I and I thought this right when I, after that, that scrum, uh, I turned around and I was like, I, I literally just sighed. I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And I think the word is, uh, it was a zoo. It's a zoo. It's like he's... Um, an animal in, in a zoo and the reporters are the audience watching on and his PR team is kind of like the zookeepers. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's the, I think that's the best way to put it. Um, I've covered sports for two years now. Um, I've been a sports fan my whole life. I've been around athletes. You know, like I said, me and my friends would go to that UCLA training thing like every weekend over the summer to see basketball players. And I, I'd never seen anybody covered like Bronny and he's 18 years old. So I don't really know how to convey the volume. I mean the, the weight of that, but it, it was, me and Jonathan talked about it for an hour and a half on the drive home. <laughs> yeah. So it was, I love experiences like that. Like one of my favorite things about working for the Emerald is that I've gone to Atlanta, to San Diego, to Vegas, and now to um, Portland to cover like really high level sporting events and, you know, nationally publicized sporting events and athletes. So I think it's awesome take, making the most of these opportunities. So thank you guys for listening today and we'll be back soon.